How many of you like the Far Side? Anybody like the Far Side comics? Okay, good, good. So there's some people here who know. So when, when my son Jared was about six or seven years old, he stole from me. Uh, I have this Far Side book that he took from me. And uh, I don't think he actually understood like hardly any of the jokes, but he loved it. And uh, so we knew that we could keep Jared around. That was good. But we love the Far Side because the Far Side, right, Gary Larson, who writes the Far Side, he does a great job, doesn't he, of just kind of capturing things. And it's always, almost always one frame, right, one, one little frame. So here's one that I want to show you that I think captures some things that are really good. So here it is. I don't know if you can see it very well, but it's, it says God at his computer. And if you can't see, he's pushing a button. It's the smite button. Right, he's getting ready. His finger is hovering over the smite button. And uh, on his screen, he sees this uh, guy walking, and there's a piano hanging over him, right? Just waiting for him to make some kind of mistake. And what I think I love about this cartoon, but especially Gary Larson, what he's able to capture oftentimes, is this sense that, that a lot of us have felt this way, haven't we? Like, maybe God's just kind of waiting around for us to make one more mistake, and then he's pushing the button. And it's also interesting, like, just not to read too much into this, but it's kind of interesting, you know, that God is so distant. You know, God's so far away. Like, he's just watching us from really far, and he's controlling things like the Wizard of Oz or something, right? It's this kind of idea. And I think this captures for a lot of people, kind of, at least at some points in our lives, whether we articulate it or not, who we think God is. So today we're going to talk a little bit about who is God and and. and and maybe get out a little bit what, what it means that he cares about us. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn to John chapter 11, if you want to start flipping there, that'd be fine. I'm going to say a short prayer, and then uh, we'll jump in uh, right in verse 1 there. So let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for today. God, we ask that you, the true teacher, your spirit, would come and lead us and teach us now. Uh, open our hearts to what you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so... You can go ahead to the next one. John chapter 11, starting verse 1. Most of you know this story, but I'm going to pick out some things I think might be helpful to us today. So a man named Lazarus was sick. Easy enough. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. This is a story earlier in John that, that is told. And then her brother Lazarus was sick. So again, he was sick. This is very clear. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, the one you love is very sick. So apparently Jesus, just to make this really clear, Jesus, we know from other stories, has a good relationship with Mary and Martha, right? We've heard that before. And apparently their brother, he also has a good relationship with. They, they actually use the phrase, the one you love is sick. And so um, Jesus hears about this story. Now, before we go to the next one, just... What we know of, Jesus has been kind of running from um, some people who want him dead, probably. They at least want to cause a lot of trouble for him. So Jesus takes a little bit of a break from his normal sort of places where he would go, Judea and Galilee, and goes to another place kind of off to the side where he probably is not going to get found. And so this is where Jesus is in this story. So this news comes to him. Somehow somebody finds him. He's probably, we don't know exactly where Jesus was, but probably about a day's walk and of course, everybody walked in. A day's walk from where, where Lazarus was. Okay, next. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the glory of God. I, the Son of God, will receive glory from this. 
Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days and did not go to them. Okay, it's sort of an interesting little picture here that Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, but makes a choice. Makes a choice to not go. We don't really know why, other than he says, this is for the glory of God. And, and so we know that much. So go ahead, next one. Finally, after two days, he said to his disciples, let's go ahead and go to Judea. Go, this is where he was. But his disciples objected. Teacher, they said, only a few days ago, the Jewish leaders in Judea were trying to kill you. Are you going to go there again? So they thought all this time Jesus was really just trying to kind of let things simmer down, you know, because he'd kind of caused some controversy. And so clearly they think Jesus made this choice to wait two days for this reason. Um, maybe the disciples, like most of us from time to time, misinterpret Jesus. Okay, so let's keep going. So Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. As long as it is light, people can walk safely. They can see because, listen to this key phrase, they can see because they have the light of this world. Only at night is there a danger of stumbling because there is no light. Now Jesus is not afraid of getting jumped in the dark. Jesus, this is part of the key to understanding the rest of this story. Jesus uses this phrase, they can see because they have the light of the world. Jesus called himself earlier, he said about himself, I am the light of the world. Right. And so Jesus is trying to say something here way beyond just their physical temporary safety. Jesus is trying to tell us something about the very nature of the way we live our lives. When we're away from him, then we can stumble. But when we're with him, when we're with him, then somehow he's about something bigger. And this becomes really important as the story goes on. So then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And so the disciples, again confused, said, Lord, if he's sleeping, that means he's getting better. <laughs> like we hope Jenny's sleeping today, <laughs> as we mentioned, not this kind of sleep. Uh, they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was having a good night's rest, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. Okay. So there's this tension here. They don't really get what's happening, but Jesus knew. No, we don't know how Jesus knew, other than maybe he was Jesus, but... He, he knew Jesus, that Lazarus had already died. So he goes on. Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because, and this is important, because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. Come, let's go see him. And then Thomas, who's nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Thomas misses the point altogether. Jesus Jesus sees something here. Jesus says, now, a few things that I think are really important as we begin to just sort of peel apart this a little bit. You notice that Jesus is, is glad that he wasn't there. For what reason? Because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. Can I say that sometimes I think when things happen to us, and we all have things that happen to us, but when, sometimes when things happen to us, we, we like to blame God. You like to say, well, God, why is, this, why is this happening? Why did you do this to me? But I think it's important to note here that Jesus is, is pretty clear that God didn't do this. But he's going to use it anyway right, to do something bigger. And I just wonder if we just pause for a second. I don't know about you, but sometimes when things happen in life, it's awfully hard for me to say, oh, maybe God has something to teach me here. 
But I wonder what would change just in our outlook on life and our general posture towards things if we would pause and say, I wonder what God's up to in the midst of this stuff. Okay, keep going. So when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. So you sort of see the timeline. It takes about a day to get from where Lazarus was to Jesus. So he was probably dead pretty much when the person left. So a day there, two days Jesus was gone, and then a day to travel back. So four days he's already been in the grave. Bethany is only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. Many of the people uh, came to pay their respects and console Mary and Martha uh, because of what had happened. Okay, next one. So when Martha got word Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed home. So Martha goes out and she says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. This is important. Martha displaying some incredible faith here. Um, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And then she says, yes, I know. When everyone else rises on resurrection day. I want to point out something. Martha believes in Jesus. She believes very much in him. Like probably most of us in here do. But can I, can I point out something that she misses the point on something that's really important. And to be frank, I think a lot of us miss this on a regular basis. She thinks that her faith, stay with me, she thinks that her faith is important only for later. She thinks that her faith and the faith of others is only really about something after you die, this resurrection day, this idea that perhaps we'll be with, with God later, but somehow she misses the point, right? That this is the point of all of our faith, that it's later. This, this isn't it. And Jesus corrects her. Pay attention to this. Next one. Um, so Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. These are important words. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me and will never perish. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? Now, a few things here I want to point out just in, in Jesus' language. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection, of course, we know what that means, and they wouldn't have known, right? We all live in the future, right? <laughs> so we know what happens to Jesus. He dies and is raised. They didn't know any of this was coming, right? It was just like... This is just a Jewish rabbi in front of them. They like him. They believe in him. They believe he probably is the Messiah. But they have no idea what's coming. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is really important. He's starting to, to show them something bigger, not just about death, but about life. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They are given eternal life. Now, here's the thing. I, I'm not going to speak for you specifically, but I know for me, for part of my life, what I really believed was that, that eternal life, as we hear here, just had to do with after I die. That just I would go to heaven after I die if I believe in Jesus, and then I will live forever. But listen to this. Just a little later, I'm just going to read this to you. In John chapter 17, Jesus himself actually defines what eternal life is. Pay attention. This is important. He says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let me read it again. Let me just... So you understand, eternal life is this. Pay attention. Eternal life is this. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The idea behind eternal life, apparently, according to Jesus, is about relationship. It's an interactive relationship that begins 
now. So if somebody says to me, Brian, do you know Max Vanderpool? I don't, I don't think, am I going to know Max Vanderpool after I die? Right? I think, do I have a relationship with him right now? Right? You understand? When somebody says that to you, do you know somebody? You think about the relationship right here and now. Jesus says eternal life is knowing God, the one true God, and knowing Jesus Christ, whom he sent. This is eternal life, that it begins right now. And this is part of what Martha, I think, is missing, that Jesus is saying, I'm the resurrection and the life, not just for future, but I'm the resurrection and the life for right now. Sometimes we put God in this box, and, and even though we believe in him, and even though we, we want to believe he has something better for us, I think, I think sometimes, maybe if you're like me, we put him over here and say, well, that'll be for later. But Jesus' message right here seems to be something fundamentally different. I am the resurrection and the life. And even though they die, they're going to live again. And he says they are given eternal life. That means they're given this relationship with me right now, those who believe in me, and they will never perish. There's this sense that when we're in this kind of relationship with God, when we're in this interactive relationship starting right now, that God begins to do something in us. And then he says, do you believe this? is the key question. Do you believe this? Okay, next one there. Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world for God. So she says, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I want, I'm trying to believe this as much as I can. And then, uh, then she goes back. Then, then she left him, returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, hey, the rabbi's here. He wants to see you. She's talking about Jesus. So Mary immediately went to him. Now Jesus had stayed outside the village um, in the place where Martha had met him, when the people who were at the house trying to console Mary saw her leaving hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave and uh, to weep, and so they followed her there. Now, in Jesus' day, when somebody died, it's really important. There's a verse in the Old Testament that talks about how the importance of mourning someone. And so um, they took this to the extreme, and so they would bring in friends and family to mourn with you, and oftentimes they would even pay for people, professional mourners, to come and mourn with you. And so remember, these people came from Jerusalem to be with her, to console her, uh, Mary and Martha. And so they're there at the house, and Mary is grieving. She would be dressed in black, probably. Um, she probably wouldn't be eating very much, if anything at all. And, and this is kind of this constant process of mourning. And so these people are there to sort of be there to, to mourn with you. And so as she goes, she leaves. They think she's just going to the grave, to the place where the body is. She goes out to see Jesus. All these people follow kind of interesting. So this crowd comes. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell down at his feet and said, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. Again, this understanding that Jesus had some power. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, he was moved with indignation and was deeply troubled. So Jesus has, he's connecting here. He's connecting here. Where'd you put him, he asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then this this verse happens, then Jesus wept. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in the church. The th there are three verses you had to know as a young boy growing up in church. First is John 3.16, the second is Genesis 1.1, and then the third one is this one, John 11.35, because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. In the NIV, it's two words, Jesus wept, and so <laughs> you learn this early. No idea of the context of it at all, just important that I could say a Bible verse, right? Maybe some of you lived in that world, too. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. But there's something really important happening in this story. 
Jesus wept. This word wept doesn't mean like he bawled like a baby, but it doesn't mean he kind of, his eyes glistened, you know? <laughs> he cried. Jesus cried. I don't know about your background. I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and Flint is a factory town, a General Motors factory town, and so um, a lot of um, big, hairy people, and that's the women, no, just kidding, big, hairy people, <laughs> big, hairy men, there's not a lot of hugging that goes on in Flint, right? I mean, you just, there's, you know, everybody has their sort of personal bubble, and it's probably about, you know, 18 inches to three feet. In Flint, it's like four feet, you know, you have a little extra room. Um, you know, if somebody says to you, hey, how's it going? That's like a long conversation in Flint, you know what I mean? This is a, a very kind of rough place, and so there is not hugging going on. And I learned from a very early age, you do not cry. Whatever you do, you do not cry. Someone can cut off your arm, you do not cry. Does not matter what it is, you do not cry. I learned this from a very early age. And so, um, <laughs> and maybe some of you are like this too. And it didn't help, you know, of course, if you're a guy, it's even more that way. But you just don't cry. Whatever you do, do not cry. And so, <laughs> as a youth pastor, I had this middle school boy, his name was Blake. And Blake cried at everything. <laughs> like, he, he could stub his toe, and he would start crying, like bawling. Like, someone could say, hey, Blake, you're funny looking. And he'd start I mean, whatever it was. I mean, he just cried at everything. I did not understand Blake at all. Right? <laughs> this disconnect between worlds. So I grew up in this world where you don't cry. And so to read this passage that says Jesus wept, it's kind of hard for me, to be honest. Right? Just Jesus cared enough to cry. When was the last time you cried? Have you ever cried? Of course you have, at some point. Maybe in the darkness of your room so no one could see, but when was the last time you cried? Jesus wept. Jesus connected enough as a fully human, fully divine, but also fully human. He cried. I'll come back to this in a minute. Keep going, please. And then, um, People who were standing nearby said, see how much Jesus loved him. Some said, this man healed a blind man. Why couldn't he keep Lazarus from dying? Keep going, next one. And again, Jesus was deeply troubled. Then they came to the grave. It was a cave with a stone rolled at its entrance. This wasn't uncommon at all. Oftentimes they'd put the body in there for about a year, and then they would go back in and collect the bones and, and put them in a box and, and, and put it away. Uh, roll the stone aside, Jesus said. But Martha, the dead man's sister, said, um, by now this is going to stink, right? This smells going to be terrible. He's been dead for four days. So you can only mask that smell for so long. Four days is a long time, especially without any kind of refrigeration. So there you go. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled a stone aside. And Jesus looked up to heaven. He began to pray. He says, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. And then listen to this, this is what happens. You guys know the story, but Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus came out. Right? This resurrection from the dead. And grave cloths, uh, bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a headcloth, Jesus told him, unwrap him, let him go. And the people who were there believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Maybe some of us today, if we're honest, we're, are wishing for resurrection. Maybe for some of us, some parts of our lives are sort of dead. 
Maybe we're wishing for some kind of resurrection. Or maybe for some of us, it's just, maybe we, we have some resurrection, but we still feel kind of bound by the grave cloth. They're still hanging on to us, and we can't feel like we can't let go of that death. It's just kind of constantly reminding us of that. Maybe for some of us, we're wishing for something bigger. Stay with me for one second. I want to show you a video in just a second. Don't, don't play it yet. Just wait. Um, at the core of this story is Jesus and who you believe Jesus is. I went with my kids uh, on fall break. We went to the Kentucky Science Center. Anybody ever been there? Yeah? And they have the IMAX theater. How many of you have seen IMAX movies before? Okay. I love the IMAX. If I could have an IMAX in my house, I would. <laughs> I love that thing, the big giant screen. And we watched this movie about, it was about Hubble. And most of the story, most of the story was about them fixing, repairing Hubble. And it's really cool. But then at the very end of it, there's this little, maybe two or three minutes where they just kind of show you what Hubble can see. Right? I don't know if you've ever seen anything like this. And some of us are kind of geeky like that, so we like that kind of thing. But it just sort of shows the extent of space. And my oldest daughter, Meg, and I were talking as we walked out how that was kind of cool. And she said, wouldn't it be neat if you could see something that went from the smallest thing to the biggest thing? And so, of course, I went home and Googled it. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, I want to show you a video here. that just going to walk you from the smallest thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but the smallest measurement, anybody know what the smallest measurement is? It's called a plank length. And they don't even know for sure that it exists, but they're pretty sure there's this little teeny, 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 teeny little. So it's going to start there, and it's going to go all the way through. There'll be some places where in the video it kind of stops and has a little text box or something. Just don't worry too much about that. You won't have time to read all that. But I just want you to get a sense of what we're talking about, about the world, the universe that we live in, and then we'll come back and talk. So, <laughs> So... Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all of creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began, and he holds all creation together. Christ created all these things. Through him, all these things are created. For him, all these things are created. Next one, please. So what does it mean? Stay with me. What does it mean that the God who created everything through whom all things have their being. What does it mean that Jesus wept? Can I say to you today that Jesus embraced the reality of where we are? Do you, do you struggle? Do you have pain? Do you have doubt? Do you have fear? Can I say to you that Jesus meets you there? Jesus knows what it's like. He loves us so much that he came and lived just like we do. He was moved by something. The God who created the smallest thing that we can't even, we're not even sure exists, to the largest thing which we can't even name. That God came and lived just like you do. He walks through things just like you have. He struggled with emotion, right, like you do. He cried. Why? Because he loves us. 
He understands what it's like. You ever had that week where you're pretty sure you feel like nobody understands and nobody's had that kind of week? He's had that week, right? He, he understands he's with you. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. At the core of the story about Lazarus is the reality that Jesus is with us in the midst of our deepest and darkest place. Have you ever noticed we all have doubts and fears and struggles and moments and days where it doesn't make sense and we don't have all the answers. Have you ever noticed how we all live in that world but how most of us kind of walk through this life trying to cover that up, fill that space up with distraction, with noise, with stuff to do, with Facebook, with our phones, with whatever else? Have you ever noticed? Can I say to you today that Jesus has come so that he can be with us in the midst of those dark places. He understands. He understands. And here's the good news. As Jesus said, he is the light. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He came not just so he could be with you and understand, but so that out in the midst of those things, he can begin to bring life. Now, this isn't without pain, right? This isn't without struggle. Lazarus died. He was dead. Not just partially dead, for those of you who are Princess Bride fans, right? Not just mostly dead. He was dead. Four days dead. Dead. He stank. He was dead. It's not fun. There are places and times when we don't get it. There are places and times when things don't go the way we want them to. But God is in the midst of those places, working to bring wholeness, working to bring life, working to bring resurrection. Can I say to you today, it's okay. It's okay that you don't have all the answers. It's okay that you don't even claim to have all the answers. It's okay that it hurts. It's okay that there's suffering. It's okay that that's part of our life. It's okay that you doubt. It's okay that you have fears. Jesus understands. Jesus understands. Jesus asked this question of Martha, do you believe? And this is the question. This is the invitation today. Do you believe? Do you believe that this relationship with Christ doesn't just have to do with something after you die? But do you believe that Jesus is willing to meet you right where you are in the depths of the deepest darkness that you can find? That the creator of the universe is willing to meet you in those places? Do you believe that he's willing to meet you in those places now and begin to work to bring wholeness to things that are broken? Do you know of any broken relationships, of course? Do you know of any broken, <laughs> broken places we've just messed up the world we're in? Of course you do. But can I say to you that God can be in the midst of that to work to bring something beautiful, something good. In just a minute, we're going to sing this song again. And, and as we do, I want to invite you to pray. What if Jesus wants a relationship with you that starts now? What if Jesus wants a relationship with you where he'll enter into the dark place and bring wholeness? What if 
What if Jesus wants a relationship where you don't have to be afraid of that darkness anymore, of that fear, of that struggle, of that sorrow? What if, you, what if Jesus wants to be in a place where he begins now in you, in this relationship with you, to bring wholeness and goodness to you? So the invitation today is just, as we pray, I'm going to pray and then we'll sing, is to just ask some questions maybe of yourself. Do I believe? Do I believe in this kind of eternal life that starts right now? Do I believe in this kind of relationship that no matter what it is, whether it's the kid bullying me at school or the person at work that I can't stand or the really terrible week I've had, do I believe that Jesus understands and is in the midst of that bringing something good? Do I believe in that kind of goodness?